Welcome everyone. I am Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana, and we are here for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. My guest today is Cassie Hammett. Hi. Hey, everybody. <laughs> thanks so much for being here, yeah, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've never met, so yes. it's always interesting to sit down with folks. I, I feel like I know you because I've done a lot of research and um, uh, just background reading mm -hmm. to prepare for today. So really, um, really nice to meet you. Thank you. Likewise. Well, we'll hop in. Um, let's start today with a quote of yours I came across. The quote is, I believe I need to leave my city better than I found it. Community is essential for a whole full life. We'll get more into the details of your work as we talk today, but your career is dedicated to making our city better. Where do you think this sense of obligation to your city came from? I find it rare for people to possess such a feeling of duty and responsibility to serve our city. Yeah, so I was born and raised here in Shreveport, so that's part of my answer is that um, I'm invested here. My whole life has been lived here. I mean, I've lived other places on and off, but. Um, so I think a part of me is just, it's in my DNA, this city is. Um, I do I do have, I wouldn't call it an obligation, but I do have a deep um, desire to see our city continue to um, become the city that it has the potential to become. And I would say for me, the way that kind of I think about what makes a city better is really it's the people, it's focusing on people. And not everyone takes that perspective. Some people feel called to legislation and some people feel called to, you know, law enforcement. There are, there are so many things that go into a community. For me, I think um, it's an obligation less to a city and more to people. Um, and I just believe that everyone in our city and everyone in the world, but specifically our city, was created in the image of God. And it's, they're all, we're all equal in that sense and that... Um, the work of the hub is to sort of bridge the gap between um, the materially poor and those in our city who are blessed enough to have their material things. And so um, I think what keeps me in it, in a city that at times feels like it's going in the wrong direction, is that people's lives are changing. And I get to see that, right? Like I think that what keeps you invested in a city is being on the front lines of seeing the city actually change and I think that right now specifically I think there's a lot of people who don't believe that Shreveport is a good city or Shreveport is worthy of investing in and I just disagree like even when things are harder right like I think we're in a season in our community right now that is harder um, there's still so much hope and there's still so much change happening in our city among some of the most vulnerable populations. And so um, I do feel a sense of calling here. Um, I've had opportunities to live somewhere else and we actually do live half time in another city. Um, but we have never, it's never been a negotiable thing for us to live full time somewhere else. We feel, even as a family, very called here. Um, and I think that's different than just like, oh yeah, we just live here. I think it's different when you feel called. Um, you live with intentionality. 
Um, you don't run away from the hard things. You don't run away from, you know, co- hard conversations. Um, and I think all of that goes into, over time, a city changing as if people will just dig their heels in and invest no matter what. And when you say, I just want to talk about a couple of things you yeah. mentioned there. So when you say some people may feel like the city's going in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. What makes you say that? And also, my second question, just while I'm, while it's still fresh in my mind, is, you know, what you know. You said some people feel like maybe the city isn't worth investing in. You know, what what makes you feel otherwise, or what, in in spite of that, what makes you feel like you can actually push it in a in a, in a more positive direction? Yeah. So my answer to what makes Shreveport worth investing in is also people, because people are worth investing in. Because I think we can talk about a like a city, quote unquote, and it can start to feel like this like nebulous idea, right? Like it's a it's a city or it's a government, but the truth is like it's only a city because people are in it, and people are worth investing in. And so, if you decide a city isn't worth investing in, I think you're looking at it from a perspective that a city has now become this like theoretical idea and isn't attached to the people who are actually living in the city. So that would be one of my answers. I think right now, I do think we're seeing um, some harder times in the crime department (laughs) of our city. Um, And I do think that that makes it hard for people to want to stay and want to invest. And I understand that, right? Like 100% understandably. and so I do think like we're in a time right now as a city where we do have to make decisions as people who live here. Um, are we going to stay and use our influence and use our perspective and use our material possessions and all of those things? Or are we going to pack up and go where it's easier? Um, I do think that's a decision a lot of people are having to think about right now. You know, And that's a hard place to be in. It's a really hard place to be in. And so we, you know, at the Hub, I think the benefit of working at the hub one of the massive benefits is that we never lose sight of that reality that this is about people it's not about crime statistics it's not about you know politics um it's about people it's about people who are committing crimes and it's about victims who are um on the on the receiving end of those crimes and but at the end of the day it's people and people are worth investing in so for those out there who are unaware of you, let me let me provide some quick information. <laughs> and, and, and if any of this is incorrect, feel free to clarify. So in 2007, at the age of 22, you founded the Hub Urban Ministries in Shreveport after getting to know homeless people in Shreveport. Fifteen years later, the Hub serves the poor and those in homelessness through the Lovewell Center and helps women and children trapped in the sex industry and victims of human trafficking through purchase, not for sale. Let's start by talking about your work with the Lovewell Center. Talk to me about this quote of yours below and how it informs your approach at Lovewell. The quote is, people should be pulled in and given a seat at the table. When I meet someone in homelessness or poverty, My end goal is to eventually be able to look at them as a friend. Yeah. So um, the Hub's kind of mission statement is the Hub is on a mission to give everyone in our city access to a restored life. And that word everyone kind of 
is where that sort of heart comes from. Um, we have two ministries, like you referenced. We have the Love Well and Purchased. And those are those two lanes are how we sort of flesh out that mission statement of giving everyone in our city access to a restored life. Um, and at the Love Well Center, we serve those in homelessness and poverty. And we're open all week long. And, and we use a very unique model of working with that population. Um, there's three things that make it unique. Uh, one is it's a membership-based um, place. It's a membership-based facility. And when people come in, they have the opportunity to become a member. And a lot of times people are like, oh, what's the big deal with that? Well, we take membership somewhere for granted, right? Like, it's just something that is a part of how we live life, right? Like, we're a member maybe at the Y here, or we're a member at Sam's Club, or <laughs> wherever we may find our membership. And, and we take for granted uh, what it would feel like if you've never been a member of anything. And membership brings a sense of belonging, right? Like when you walk in somewhere that you're a member of, not only are you allowed to be there, but you're expected to be there. And so for us, right away, the model of the Love Well being a membership-based ministry is that it speaks to that idea of not only are, to a population of people that often don't feel um, not just allowed to be somewhere, but don't feel like they belong anywhere. It's our first way when we first meet someone of saying, hey, not only can you be in here and we're gonna, we're not just allowing it, like we expect you to be here because you belong here, you're a member here. Um, and so that's the first thing that I think is very unique about the way that we serve that specific population. The second thing is that we use the idea of earning and empowerment in the way that we're serving that population. So inside of the Love Well, we have three like stores, I guess you could call them. We have the Eat Well Food Pantry, the Smell Well Laundromat, and the Dress Well um, Clothing Store. And in those stores are everything that people in material poverty truly do need access to. Um, but kind of the friction of our model is that none of that is free. And so members get the opportunity to earn by attending classes, counseling, um, projects around the building. They can turn in their work stubs and all of that can be exchanged for credits on their membership account. And then they use those credits to shop in our stores. And so the second thing that makes the Love Well unique and I think um, really powerful in people's lives is it calls out this idea um, that they can engage in their life. Um, it kind of speaks to this thing deep down in their lives that probably hasn't really been uncovered in a long time that says, you know, you have abilities, you have gifts and talents, and no matter what your physical circumstances are, um, you can engage in your life changing. You can engage in the process of providing for yourself. Um, and that is something we also take for granted. You know, we wake up and go to work and it's just what we do. And we go home and we're glad it's over and we're proud for the weekend to come. And it's just this thing that we, these motions that we tend to go through. Well, if you've been in poverty, especially generational poverty, if you've been in homelessness, um, you would, under if even for any amount of time you would start to feel what it feels like to to not be expected to do anything that the expectation and the standard and the bar is set very low and when that bar is set very low all of us do this right you tend to match where the bar is set and so at the love well we just want to raise that bar and say hey like we believe 
that you are created in God's image. We also believe that you have, because of that, that you have purpose. And that there's not just a segment of the population that gets to have a purpose. Like, that's everyone. And so, if that's true about you, then we want to come alongside of you and uncover that purpose. And figure out, like, why were you created? You know, what were you created to do? And we also want to show you what it feels like to walk away with your needs being met, but you were a part of meeting them. Because when you're in poverty, that goes out the window very quickly. You go into survival mode. So it's not, what do I want? It's, what do I have to do, right? And so that's the second part of the model that's really powerful. And the third model part of the model is just choice. So in our stores, they get to choose how they spend their points and what they do with their credits and all of those things. And that's a big deal. Um, because if you've been in poverty and homelessness, your choices are extremely limited. And t- and often you're choosing between two things, two terrible things maybe, or um, two things that you really don't want either one, but you don't have a choice. You know, this whole like, my kids always say, you know, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. It's a very Southern phrase. But um, that's kind of what it's like in poverty. It's just whatever someone will give you has to be good enough. Um, and man, like what a tragic way to live. Um, and so the element of choice kind of restoring back that dignity of choice, you know, we go into a grocery store and come out and we've chosen, we don't buy food. We don't like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I mean, my kids would probably argue that I actually do buy food. They don't like, but both of my kids are adopted internationally. And my youngest was older when we brought her home and we went into the grocery store for the first time. And, um, she couldn't handle it emotionally, this idea of so many choices. So at the Love Well, um, people get to choose um, for the first time in a long time what they spend their earned resources on. So um, it's a it's an incredible model. It, it really, um, it changes people. It really does. And so this idea of, of friendship, you know, um, because the way that we view what we do and what we believe to be true is that anyone who comes through the doors of the love well is no different than me really at their root i mean materially sure there's some material differences um and there's a lot of other you know there's a lot of things socioeconomically that are different but when you take that off like that alone when you take that off um we're really not that different and so um what i know to be true is that friendship is what really changes your life like actual true friendship and community and for the community at the Lovewell Center, for our members, that is that is a very new concept to have friends. And so that really is the fuel, I think, of what ends up being sort of pushing the change in their life is that they come to a place now where they belong, they have a seat at the table. Um, we don't do anything that's us and them. Like we don't do anything. Like if you come and volunteer at the Lovewell, like we don't even call you a volunteer. It's, it's a, hey, Thank you for coming. Sit down just like everyone else. You know, we're going to play games tonight. We're going to eat a meal together. Everything's sort of geared at not ignoring the socioeconomic differences because we are addressing those every single day. Um, but having enough opportunity where the playing field is leveled and where members do actually have a voice. Um, we ask them, we ask their opinion about everything. Um, if we're going to paint, what color do they want it to be? If we're going to offer new classes, what new classes do they want? Um, just like here at the Y, you know, members have a voice. It's it's basically the same model at the level. So um, 
and the last thing I'll say about friendship is that you know I accidentally started the hub <laughs> which is a much longer story but um, it was friendship with the poor that radically changed me so as much as we would love to say that they need us it, it, we, we need them we need the poor in our lives because it changes us and grows us and stretches us and so um, I just I recognize that outside of my faith um, I am who I am today because of my friendships with those on the margins um, it's changed me forever and continuously changes me and so that's that quote is this idea of what if we didn't think about it as social work or what if we didn't think about it as us and them um, but we looked through the lens of a friendship because the truth is if you think about your friends like there's literally nothing you wouldn't do for your friends I mean maybe there's something <laughs> you know depending on how crazy, crazy your friends are but when you think about people as friends it just it changes the game you know you stay invested longer you push through the hard things um, you're willing to give more if they really are actually your friend so that's kind of what that quote is kind of alluding to love it And we, my next question you kind of covered, but let's let's hit it anyway. Yeah. So I was really interested in this statement of yours that I came across. Um, it, it, you just said the Love Well Center program is not a handout. Mm-hmm. Um, when accepted, a homeless or poverty-stricken person is given the opportunity to become a member. Um, my question was, can you talk a little bit about the membership program and the guiding principles behind it? But I feel like you covered that. Um, so we'll, we'll move on unless okay. there's anything else you <laughs> yep. want to say. Okay. Um, so I asked my previous guest actually yesterday um, the same question. And as I was doing my research on you, I, I just felt compelled to ask you the same thing. So the question is, in your opinion, are we breaking cycles? If not, what are we going to have to do differently to begin putting it into some of the areas where our community struggles the most? Yeah, so from my perspective, um, my answer is 100% we are breaking cycles. Um, we see that in a lot of different ways flushed out at the hub. So I'll, I'll kind of answer that in, in related to our two programs, and then I have one probably surprising answer. but. Um, at the Love Well, we are seeing major cycles be broken in people's lives. Um, the cycle of poverty to homelessness, this sort of like back and forth, like I have a house, I don't have a house, I have a job, I don't have a job. We're seeing a lot of change in that area. Um, other cycles that we see broken through our programs at the Love Well are addiction. Um, we see that. We see people um, you know, coming out of addiction and walking in sobriety. Um, we see poverty broken in people's lives. Um, people leave poverty and not need the Love Well Center anymore, which is <laughs> incredible when individuals, because this does happen, when they come back to serve or volunteer um, and just be a part. Um, we're seeing a lot of other, like, I think a little more undertoned cycles break of, like, um, sort of a population that trends towards aggressive and sort of, um, sort of, for good reason um all about like i just have to take care of me that's changed and changing in our the population that we serve there's a a sense that like we're you know at the love all center specifically um you know that this is a community effort um that we can take care of each other um one of the cool things that we see happen is 
once members have their own asset, which is a membership account with credits, um, it is very common for them to use those on someone else. Um, and that's a right. cycle being broken too, you know, that man, like for the first time ever, I have the ability to help you. I have the ability to intervene and be a part of your life changing. So 100% cycles are being broken. I think they're not the big sexy topics, right? Like I don't, I don't think they're just like these like incredible, like you can point to that on a daily basis and see it. But if you're in the trenches, you can see every day these small steps towards cycles completely being broken and so on the purchase side of what we do I think what we see we see the biggest um, examples of those cycles being broken because purchase um, you know when you're dealing in the world of human trafficking and sexual exploitation um, it's just a lot more the, the cycles are a lot more obvious so one of the, the cycles we see broken regularly is this is this lifestyle of human trafficking, like being broken in someone's life and that person being given access to freedom. That's a big cycle that's being broken because a lot of them, a lot of victims, have been in this, this loop of exploitation for years and years and years. And that's a cycle in their life that they are accustomed to, that they've um, grown to expect, that they believe they deserve. And so when that moment comes where a victim gets the opportunity to get out, right, to experience life outside of that. I mean, that is a massive cycle that's broken. And what we see is it becomes a generational change because a lot of these victims have children. Um, and we get to see the domino effect of their freedom then translating to the, the way they raise their kids, the way that they're, you know, the things their kids have access to. It's, it's this incredible process where you do realize like not only has a, a physical cycle of exploitation ended, um, there are a lot more things that come with that, like that come in that, a lot of emotional turmoil, a lot of trauma, and we're watching whole lives be completely restored out of that. Um, and so I think we see on the purchase side sort of these bigger examples, right? There, it's, you know, you can point to that and be like, that's, in, that's insane, right? You have... A woman who went from being incarcerated, you know, 30 plus times to now entering into a diversion program, graduating and being a fully functioning member of our community. Um, I think that's where we see sort of these bigger marked ends of cycles happening. So, so I would say 100% yes on in our programs we see that. I think another thing that we see is sort of in this third round because we work... Um, kind of the purpose of the hub is like I said earlier is to bridge the community to these populations because often there's this big chasm between and so we see a lot of change happening among those who are serving these populations those who are going through our trainings and sort of retooling the way they think about poverty and the way they think about trafficking and all of these things and we're seeing cycles be broken on that side too in the lives of our partners, our business partners, our church partners, our volunteers and donors. Um, it's actually one of the most beautiful things, in my opinion, to watch happen is someone sort of come to a conversation about poverty, homelessness, abuse, addiction, race, whatever it might be, because all of those topics are just a daily part of what we're dealing in, and come away with a more restored narrative about that, um, and watching just like it did in my life, watching how much change can come when you're engaging 
with the vulnerable and marginalized, like how much you have to own your own junk and look at the way that you believe, um, the way you spend your money, the way you operate, the community, you, you know, all I mean, like you have to start reckoning almost with your life. And so we're seeing a lot of cycles be broken on that side too, of people just investing in the lives of, of some of the most notorious people in our city and truly understanding what it means to be a friend to them. To me, that is a really big cycle that's being broken um, as a whole sort of culture of our community, our whole population of our community is starting to think differently about the poor and the marginalized and the exploited. And to me, that's what changes the city. You know, it's it's not just social programs. It's not just um, the homeless being housed. Those are all great things. Don't hear me saying they're not, but they're not sufficient. You know, the, if that chasm stays and there's, and there continues to be a widening gap between the populations, then we're not winning, you know, because it's just not the way that, uh, what I believe is it's not the way that God sees um, what he wants to see happen on the earth. And so that was a really long answer. No, it was great. No, and the <laughs> last part really fascinated yeah. me. So just staying with the last point you made mm-hmm. about, you know, the, the people that are engaged or the people that are serving, how, how do you... Is there a lot of word of mouth coming from them in terms of recruiting others, or how do you, you know, how do you, how do you, um, how do you expand that, or how do you yeah. multiply that, or, 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 mm-hmm. or, you know, how do you highlight those people so that other people are inspired to yeah. do the kind of work that they're doing? Yeah. So I think one thing in our favor is we've been here for 15 years, you know. So I think um, not really a household name, but I. I think there is sort of an association in people's minds. Like if I want to volunteer, there's a few, you know, things like rescue, the rescue mission, Salvation Army. There, there are some um, easy connections in people's minds. So I think, I think in one way, just the fact that we've stuck it out for 15 years, <laughs> you know, is is amazing. Um, yeah, it, I think it it just has solidified like a safe place for people to come in and engage. Um, but there is a, a lot of word of mouth. You know, a group will come, maybe a business one of our business partners comes and serves and then they tell their friends and then, you know, there does become this sort of, hey, like, I want you to see and experience what I've seen and experienced. Um, We get a lot of our um, volunteers and a lot of our engagement through our partnership networks. So we have a church partnership network and then we have a business um, partnership network. So through those two, um, which the Y is one in our business network, but, our partners when they come into sort of an official partnership with us um our language is when we give them the partnership agreement it's like we are part of the deal you're part of the deal and it's equal so we're not just asking you for money we're not just asking you to fill in the blank Um, we have a part to play here too and our responsibility to our partners is to get their agency their group their church their business engaged through volunteering because a lot of those places want volunteer hours and need them and so um, as a part of partnership we are holding up our end of the deal and saying hey like let's let's not just um, plan a day for all your you know employees to come and it's just sort of this generic volunteering Um, so we kind of approach volunteering different everything I keep saying we do I guess everything we do is a little off of norm but um, for us when we think about groups who want to volunteer even people like 
we, we want it to be impactful to them. And so we work really hard to place, especially like our groups, business partners, church partners, whatever, um, in volunteering roles that are more than just like once a year, um, because we think that's pretty toxic. I think that that's, we, that's a whole nother podcast, but you know, just the drop in and drop out, um, really isn't, we, we, we don't do a lot of that. Um, but we work with our groups to say, what do you guys care about in the city? And what keeps you up at night? <laughs> and what are your gifts? What are your talents? What resources do you have? And then we just look at all that and we say, okay, well, we feel like this part of what we do at the hub is the best fit for your group. And because we do that, I think we get a lot more buy-in because we're not just sort of randomly throwing things in their direction. And, and we pay a lot of attention to the context of the volunteer. So let's, for example, if it's a group of moms you know, who want to engage, well, we're not gonna give them opportunities that don't fit their reality because that's like the fastest way to lose volunteers is like, and so we think a lot about the context of the group. We think about their understanding and context. We think about their schedules. We think about everything. We take everything to an, in a, into account and then say, hey, here's three things that we feel like would be a really good fit. And I think because of that, we get a lot of buy-in and I think people feel like they can engage in a way that makes sense to their life. Does that make sense? Like Absolutely. it's not this foreign object that they're having to like, because honestly, if it doesn't fit in some way, you won't use it, right? Like the way that we live our lives is so fast paced and we have so much going on. Um, and it's not that we want to make serving the easy choice because we don't, because it's not the easy choice, um, but we kind of do want to make it like, like in some ways, like we want it to be accessible to you. Sure. Um, and so I think, Having that perspective and being around as long as we have with that perspective, I think it helps as far as it sort of sort of growing this big base of people. Um, and we do four trainings a year that um, anyone can come to. And I think that's a big part of the volunteer culture we have. It's because not everyone goes through those. Um, you don't have to. I mean, for purchase, you do have to. It's mandatory. But um, when you come to that training, it's just a one-day training, you leave feeling like we've sort of woven you into what we're actually doing and given you education about the populations we're serving and giving you tools. Like, a lot of our training is like, hey, if you're going to engage in these ways, uh, we want to teach you how because a big reason why people don't is because they're scared. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, what do I say or how do I respond? So I think because of those trainings, when people who go through that training and then show up to serve for the first time, they feel way more prepared and they also feel like they're already a part of something and they're not just like a random person who's shown up. If they've been through the training, they understand the role that they're playing is essential as a, as a volunteer. And so I think those trainings help as well. I think it, it allows people to feel more comfortable sort of entering into what we're doing. And um, we can use those trainings to also teach a culture and a way of thinking, you know, kind of help people f- kind of flip-flop their ideas of um, the populations that we serve. So we see, like we have one Saturday, and we typically have 50, 50 to 60 people coming to those at this point. When we first launched them, it was like hundreds of people. But now I think because we've been doing them for so long, it's just sort of a natural rhythm of people like, oh, I heard about this training. I'm going to come. So we have one this Saturday, and it's 
it's one of my favorite things that we do because you just watch people soak in all of this information and leave conflicted, leave challenged, leave with this idea of like, okay, now what do I do? Um, and we don't just focus on the hub. Our goal is not you come and because you came to this training, you want to serve at the hub. Our goal is you're leaving this training changed. Um, and if that means that you plug in with us, amazing. We'd love to have you. Um, but it's a win for us, period, if you come to the training because we know that you now are going to have to sort of reckon through all of the things that we've taught. So anyways, all of that to say, I think that creates sort of a foundation of a volunteer base that feels invested. Love it. All right, so let's hop into the other part of your ministry, yeah. which we've mentioned, but we hadn't really uh, delved into that much. Um, so in, in 2011, the Hub branched out into additional ministry by forming Purchase Not For Sale to tackle the issue of human trafficking in our community. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about some of the programs of Purchased and the different types of human trafficking that exist in our community. Yeah, so purchased uh, serves primarily two populations. The first one is adult women who are um, actively in the sex industry um, currently, adult women who are wanting out of that industry, and then adult victims of trafficking. So that's sort of one segment. And then the other um, population that we serve are um, high-risk children and identified child victims of trafficking. So we have a juvenile and adult population that we're serving. On the adult side, um, we have a residential program. It's a nine to 12 month program. It's called Recovered. And um, they live in our homes, um, these really beautiful homes outside of, uh, in the country, (laughs) outside of city limits. Uh, Live there for nine to 12 months. They come every day and engage in a trauma-informed program, um, four phases. They kind of move through um, all manner of recovery substance abuse, trauma recovery, trauma processing, a lot of counseling, um, a lot of foundational learning, like relationships and community and, you know, all of the sort of putting back together all the pieces of their life that have been broken. And then as they progress through, um, they move towards um, employment, uh, sort of what kind of what we view it as is basically self-sufficiency training like hey how are you going to not need us in a year because that's a quick amount of time um, especially if you've been in addiction and prostitution or human trafficking for sometimes decades a year is literally chump change compared to like <laughs> what it takes to actually recover so um, the year is sort of designed to the best of our ability to move them through some foundational things starting smaller and sort of building right um and at the end uh we have a social enterprise called rise up and roast in partnership with rhino coffee and um rhino actually roasts their roasting facilities in our building and so as the women progress through the phases they have the opportunity to move into rise up and roast as employees and so what's cool is that and this is kind of a unique approach as well to recovery is that Usually, sort of your kind of traditional view is someone moves through recovery, graduates, and then transitions into maybe a social enterprise, which a social enterprise is just a business that's designed to hire marginalized individuals. That's kind of a good definition of it. Um, So traditionally, it's like you finish recovery, and then you move into this social enterprise. Um, So we we sort of backed the social enterprise opportunity up into their recovery. 
And the reason we did that is because when I think about myself, if I'm going to a program, I'm going to be okay kind of investing in my emotional health and spiritual health and healing for about a month before I start to be like, okay, all of us are this way, like this itch of like, what am I going to do, right? Like, how am I going to make money? And like, like all of those frantic feelings that actually can make recovery very difficult. So if you, you kind of see this, this happen, this kind of trend in people's lives, like at the 60 to 90 day mark, you see this battle begin between, man, I understand the importance of the recovery I'm engaging in, but I also know that like I have to support myself, right? And you see this this push and pull, and it actually is a lot of times the reason why people will eject out of recovery early because they're like, okay, I feel a little better. You know, like everything doesn't feel so crisis. I've got some healing under my belt. I've learned some tools. I've been clean for 90 days. So, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go. And so um, we backed the opportunity to work into their recovery, which is very, very different than most places. And so now, once they reach the second phase, so around that 60 to 90 day mark, they are not only engaging in recovery, but they're also beginning to work. And man, like, it makes a really big difference. It makes a big difference. And it allow, it actually creates more buy-in into their recovery, right? Because they're like, oh, like I'm getting to work and earn and I want to stay invested in my recovery because I want to stay invested in this opportunity. And so um, they move through Rise Up and Roast as employees. And basically what Rise Up and Roast is, is we are a distributor of Rhino Coffee. So um, we have, it's a wholesale account business. And so if the Y is looking for some coffee, hey, <laughs> little little plug. But uh, we provide wholesale coffee to a lot of our church partners, business partners in the city. And so um, our employees uh, prep the coffee, grind it. They, they do everything. They, they make it all possible. Deliver it. Everything. Customer service. It's a beautiful thing. So then um, at the end of that, the hope is they've moved through Rise Up and Roast. And while they're employees, we also are working with them to determine their future employment and where they want to transition. Working with them to get employed um, while they're still in our residential program. And once they get employed outside of Rise Up and Roast, they can stay post-graduation for three to six months as they're just working and saving and preparing to be on their own. So that's one program we have. We have the other adult program we run is um, in partnership with the Caddo DA's office. Uh, we have a diversion program, Caddo and Bozier actually. Uh, we have a diversion program in both parishes for women facing prostitution charges. They can choose to be diverted into our program in place of jail time. And so we have a diversion program that runs during the week of women that are engaging in that um, as a sort of a, a part of their court um, sentence. So that's an incredible thing because I think I said this earlier, but you know, there's a revolving door aspect of incarceration. And you often see the same people getting arrested, um, if not for the same crime, for escalating crimes. Um, and so when you think about the why, why? Like, why is someone consistently being arrested for the same thing over and over and over again? Um, that's sort of what, that question of, like, why. There was one woman that kind of years and years ago sort of started my whole brain on why. I mean, she had been arrested 19 times for, you know, misdemeanors and different things. And I'm thinking, like, okay, 
this is crazy to me. Like that's a lot of times. What, what, why, why is that happening? And you realize that not for everyone, but for a lot of people, a diversion, an opportunity to do something totally different as a response to your crime often is like this, it's like jumping off a battery, right? It's like, instead of going into incarceration and just sort of sitting out your time, now you are engaging in something that's actually changing you and coming out on the other end, possibly not ever going to be a criminal again. (laughs) So we went to the DA's office, this was probably 10 years ago or nine years ago, and just were like, hey, can we just try this? Like, there's obviously an issue, um, especially in the realm of prostitution here. And so that's started that, it's called Exit Strategy, but, um, and it's really successful, um, and it's a really great program, and then we were able to duplicate it over into Bossier uh, last year, so that's really cool, so now it's in both parishes. Um, and a lot of times people are like, well, what if they're, you know, choosing that diversion as a, like a get-out-of-jail-free card? So my first response is, I would. <laughs> like, that's always my first response. I'm like, well, I mean, you would too, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who, no one wants to go to jail. Um, But the thing about the diversion program is it's actually the harder choice. You know, sitting out your time in jail for a misdemeanor violation of prostitution, it's called a 90-day turnaround usually. It's just 90 days. Um, And you just go sit it out. And it sucks because you're in jail. But it's it's not like this massive, uh, you know, sort of punitive response. The diversion program, what you're actually agreeing to is harder than that. You're agreeing to showing up of your own volition, which is difficult. Um, You have to pass drug screens every month. You have to engage in classes. You have to do community service. I mean, it's not the easy choice. And so that's what we always tell people is like, if people choose it as a get get out of jail free card, great. We're just glad they chose it. You know, we're glad that they're now sitting in a room with us and and we can begin to walk with them um, through their own healing. And so, most women who start exit strategy completed um, overwhelming majority. So um, those are our main programs on the adult side. We do a ton of outreach in the community. We have law enforcement, hospitals, schools. I mean, like it takes so much to identify one victim. I mean, that's just the reality. Like you cannot just have one nonprofit and that be the solution. That's like you know shooting hell with a water gun. It's literally what that is. And so. You know, because of that, it's a systemic approach, and so Purchase works systemically. Like, we partner with every single system we can possibly imagine um, that may encounter uh, these high-risk populations. Um, And so a lot of our work is on the outreach side, um, identifying victims in the community, um, responding to, we have a 24-hour hotline that is the sort of reporting hotline for our community, um, running that hotline, responding to the things that come in there. So... A lot of stuff happening in the purchase realm. On the juvenile side, we have um, we do a lot of work of prevention. So we work with high-risk populations, runaway shelters, um, foster children, kind of the segments of the population that are going to be the most vulnerable to being recruited into human trafficking, runaways especially. We do a lot of work in the in the um, prevention side, and then um, on the program side, when a, when a child is identified as a victim, we have wraparound services and a program very similar to what we provide for adults, but just tooled and sort of designed for children. And so that's kind of the overview of what we do at Purchased. 
Um, our newest sort of add-on to this is we've, in the last three years, been pilot testing and working towards um, trying to reach the supply side, uh, the demand side, sorry, of the supply and demand conversation. So, you know, prostitution exists because there's a demand for it. And so if we believe that the hub is our mission to give everyone in our city access to a restored life, then what does that mean about the demand side? Um, and what would it look like if we started applying the same, all the same things of all, all the stuff I've been talking about to um, the population fueling the problem? So we, it's called demand and um, we actively serve men who are buying sex online, men who are arrested for that. Uh, we have a diversion program called John School because legally they're called a John. Well, not legally, but kind of slang. Um, someone who buys sex is called a John. So we have John School that's designed to sort of like the prostitution diversion. It's just designed to give education about the crime they've actually committed, um, how it's tied to human trafficking and all of these things. So through that, we are, we are seeing a lot of cycles being broken, back to that question, um, of men who have just gone to the internet to buy a woman online, because that's typically where that's happening. Um, engaging with our volunteers, uh, that's one of the things we do. It's a little bit of a, it's kind of the most out of the box thing that we do at the Hub, but we have a group of trained men who um, fake ads are posted online, and when men call those fake ads, they're, our, our volunteers are answering, so it's a little bit of a shocking, it's called disruption, but through those conversations, our trained volunteers are, they are trained to know how to ask things that kind of stop the buyer and make them have to think, you know, like, why did, why did you go to this website or why did you click on that link? So it's pretty like, it's again, out of the box, it's a little, it's one of the things that we do at the hub that people are like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but we're seeing change happen and we're seeing men come away from John school and come away from those conversations um, with a different perspective of that crime. And so it's really, that's really hard work. That, that part of what we do is, is very difficult because that's um, obviously, for obvious reasons, a very difficult population to serve. But anyways, that's sort of the, I feel like that was a lot of information, but that's the nutshell of purchased and what we're doing there. It's wonderful. All right, so I'm down to my last question with you. We, we may continue to speak <laughs> past that, but um, my question is models of the hub have expanded or are being expanded into other cities like Las Vegas, where I believe you spend a portion of your time, mm -hmm. Fort Worth, Ruston, mm -hmm. and Lafayette. Compare and contrast how the communities in these cities engage with you and your work versus how our community engages with you here? Or in other words, what is different about the level of co community engagement in these other cities? What is the same? Yeah, so um, we do have a um, thing that we do at the Hub called Namesake. And the Namesake Network is essentially cities across the country that are using the models of the Hub to essentially serve the same populations in their city. And so uh, we've been doing that for like the past 
I guess five years or so. Um, and this year we're working on Denver and LA, so that's uh, really exciting. But um, I think so. I think what's different is that, and, and we always have to remind our namesake partners of this, is that we, we always say, remember, we've been here for 15 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think what's currently different at all of those locations is they're all, uh, our Fort, Fort Worth location is 10 years old, but everyone else is under the five year mark. And I think you see that there is a, a just this like groundswell of community engagement here that looks different there. It's not it's not as engaging yet, but I think it's just a time thing. I think sure. that it's, um, you know, being on the ground and staying invested in all of these things. So um, what's the same is, I guess what this is kind of like what's different and the same. So some of the cities are serving varying populations than we do. So like, for example, in Denver, that team is taking the model of the Lovewell Center to serve the refugee population solely. And so Denver has this like massive refugee population and a lot of resettlement efforts that are going on, especially right now. Um, and so they're sort of retooling the Lovewell model to serve a refugee population. So that's very different, but what's really incredible is it's working. And so that's what's the same, is that we've learned that there are, like our model works no matter where it's contextualized. So that's really cool because then you go, man, like, there's no limit to this, you know, this whole idea of reproducing our model. It doesn't even have to be the same exact population. So some of our um, namesake partners across the country are serving kids with the model. That's not something we specifically do. So what's been really cool is for our team here, and what's very stretching, is learning how to contextualize what we're doing somewhere else. That is, that is a very <laughs> difficult skill to learn how to do. Those teams in those cities are autonomous for us, from us, so we're not, like, we aren't in charge of those teams. We don't, you know, run them. They're all completely run by those cities and, and those groups. But what's been really cool to see is that we're able to take 15 years of experience and what we've learned and the elements of all of that and the elements of our models and contextualize it no matter where. So that's been really fun because you get to see, like, my favorite model contextualizes in Denver because it's just you know you get to see all of the same principles all of the same life-giving things applied to a completely different population and that has been probably one of the hardest things I've ever done sort of like okay you know how do we because I don't I'm not I don't have years and years and years in a refugee you know um, environment and so it stretched me as a leader to to like take off the hat of what I know and really like learn and and ask some of those same hard questions about a new population that I was asking here earlier. So it's just been really incredible to see the models not only be duplicated in other cities, but just it it's just the coolest thing to watch it work, you know? And like I know saying it works is like a weird thing to say, but like it actually does. Like seeing lives that go from no hope to being on a pathway to full restoration using the same model has been incredibly encouraging. And I think for us as a team here, we jokingly call Shreveport the mothership, you know, because we've been doing it. Everything that they're doing anywhere else is coming from here. And I think what it's done for us here is, one, it has raised the bar higher for us because when you say you're the model, um, that 
is taking on a responsibility and a level of excellence. So I think it, it raised the bar for us to go, okay, if we're doing it, we it needs to be reproducible. If we're doing it, we need to be able to put it on paper. It doesn't need to live up here. You know, all of those things that, you know, can get lost in nonprofit world. Like, it's just like, it's just what we do, you know, but when you're the model, you have to be able to actually like teach that. Um, so it's been really good for our team for that reason. The other thing is it, it gives us this like wider view of what we're doing. So in Christian language, it would be like a kingdom view, like God's, it kind of expands our view to go, okay, anything we're putting our hands to here, no matter how hard it is, no matter how heartbreaking, no matter how long it takes us to figure it out, we're gonna pass that along. And because we're gonna pass it to someone else, we're gonna save them a lot of time and heartache and frustration. So I think it, it just really does back up our view of what we're doing to not be so, you know, you know, tunnel focused and frustrated and all of those things just to go, man, but all of this effort is literally duplicated in its impact because we're able to then turn around and pass all of those batons off and say, hey, here's a new program or here's a new policy we have or here's a new way of doing this. So I think it just, it kind of just keeps this constant life flowing through our team of like, man, this is really hard, but like we're investing here, but we're also investing there. You know? So it's a really, it's really hard work, but it's, it's an incredible part of what the hub's been doing the last five years. And how, how did the name six come about? Like how, how does a city, how does a city discover your work or how do you discover a need in another community? Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that expansion process. Yeah, and so our sort of stance on namesake is, uh, we wait and, we wait for groups to come to us. So we don't do a whole lot of like, where do we want to be? (laughs) Um, And so it has happened all sorts of ways. You know, when an organization somewhere is wanting to uh, reach a population, often one of the first things people do is look on the internet, like who's doing it? So um, I think what's unique about, and, and there are other people who do this, but it's unique to find an organization doing it and also duplicating it. And so I think, when people go to like research, you know, they Google, you know, human trafficking ministries or human trafficking nonprofits, you know, we come up. And I think as they're looking through, like there's not many who say, hey, not only are we doing it, but like we can do it with you. So I think one thing is just people doing their research. Um, another is experience. So we have, we've had a lot of namesakes start because they first came here. Maybe they came here on a mission trip or they came here and served or something. And then they're like, wait, like this is exactly what we've been looking for. So it's each city has uniquely come to us in a different way. Um, but we don't do, we don't like go out and try to like find it. We, we really believe that like the people who are supposed to be in namesake will come, like we will know, you know, we don't want to just collect a bunch of groups because it is a lot of work, first of all. But we're not just duplicating a model, we're duplicating culture a way of thinking um and so we're really picky you know about like who we're gonna do that with because it's a big deal and they have our name so you know that's kind of a big deal too so um we just believe that the groups that need us that the lord will lead them to us and that has happened i mean it has happened for every single one their stories are it's just cool to hear how they land on our doorstep you know so it's it's a pretty incredible process
Well, thanks so much for sharing everything today. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? I mean, this is wonderful. Yeah, Um, so I I would say, because I would imagine most people listening are from our city, um, I think one thing I would say is, like, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have anyone listening be a part, come and be a part. I think it's easy to look at a nonprofit 15 years, look at their social media and and say, oh, they're good. They don't need me. (laughs) But not to sound desperate, but, like, we actually really do need people. (laughs) And so we just always try to remind people that, you know, don't assume that an organization doesn't need your influence or need your volunteer hours. Um, And so the easiest way that people can do that is just going to thehubministry.com. Everything you need to know about everything I just talked about is there. And it's super easy to to get involved and to volunteer and to ask questions and all of that. So I would just encourage people that are listening that live here, maybe just to ask, like, was there anything that we talked about that really struck a chord with them? And if so, I think everyone's first response typically is, well, like, I don't have anything and I mean I was only 21 when I started the hub I had literally nothing to offer (laughs) you know what I mean like no money no experience no wisdom no nothing and um, I was the exact right person and I believe that about anyone who feels called to these populations or called to come and give their time um, is that what you have is valuable what's already in your hands you know your your job your career your resources your skills talents abilities time money all of it um, you already have so much in your hands that people need and so I would just encourage people to really take that first step and come in and be a part so they can just go to thehubministry.com and it's all there wonderful yeah well, thanks Cassie yeah, for thank everything for absolutely thanks for making the time yes. um, it's extraordinary what you're doing out thank there you. and um, I'm so glad to know more and to meet you yeah thanks you so much thank you